Five Regrets of a Former Pastor's Wife. That's the topic today on the Unsunday Show, as I'm joined by my wife, Susan. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Unsunday Show. Leaving behind religious obligation to find a more authentic expression of Christ in us, this is the Unsunday Show. Hey friends, Mikey Adams here with the Unsunday Show. The show that's not Sunday, but it's the Unsunday Show. Hey, my wife Susan's joining me again today, and we're going to do an episode that uh, she requested that we do, and we're titling it, Five Regrets of a Former Pastor's Wife. Hi. Hi. Well, it started out, I heard a TikTok of a former pastor's wife had five regrets, and I listened to hers, and some of them really resonated with me, and so I we were talking about it, and I thought it'd be a good thing to kind of hash out. Absolutely. I think it's a great topic. It's a great idea, and I'm glad you brought it up. So where would you like to start? Do you want to give like an overview of things? Do you want to like just list each point and then go back through and talk about them so no. everybody knows what we're doing? Well, I think we just talk the one at a time, and then they'll probably overlap. Okay. Because so much of it is the woman's role in the church. Right. Which is not what I believe anymore, but it comes from that. Much of it comes from that, but it played itself out in different ways. Okay, good. Well, why don't you launch into it, and I'll dialogue with you back and forth on it, and we'll see where this goes. Okay, I think the because I've done so much work with um, life coaching and things like that, and all my deconstruction, I think the main thing that I come away with that my biggest regret is not speaking up, not having a voice, and not having an opinion. And I think those were really detrimental to me as a person. Yeah, because an institutional church, institutional Christianity, the goal the goal for guys <laughs> when it comes to women in the church is to keep them silent. Yeah. It just is. And that's wrong. I think that's taking a verse out of context and it's ignoring historical context as well. So yeah, that's a that's a big deal because women have been oppressed for so long, and uh, it's good that you're finding your voice, that you've got your voice back, that you're able to say things. So, Yeah, I think it's interesting now when I watch shows, especially reruns from the way past, you know, I just am so flabbergasted at, at these shows that I used to like that I just see the woman as oppressed, yeah. and I can't enjoy the show anymore. <laughs> but they have been, I mean, even outside the church. But... I think it was just really detrimental. I grew up in a household that you weren't allowed to speak up. And so then I went from that to marrying you when I was 17. And that was a good day. And being the submissive wife or trying to be the submissive wife all those years and losing myself and not, not even having a, a voice to speak up on behalf of my children in the church. Yeah, because the whole idea of church, it's conformity. Yeah. It's sameness. Especially for women. Yeah. Everybody needs to look to look the same. And the women are given a few verses that they can deal with with each other, but the rest of them are supposed to stay away from. And 
it's like there's there's two sets of rules. There's one for the men and there's one for the women, and actually three sets, and there's another one for the for the children. But as far as you know, rules for the women go, it's it's oppressive. It's silencing half of the body of Christ, right? In my opinion, right? Especially the books that I read as a woman for women in the church, and I realize that most that a lot of women never read these books, and there's a lot of couples out there that never really fully grasped this, but we did. And those books told me to always say yes and never say no, even to the point where women are taught that if they're physically abused by their husbands, it's their job to stay and win him over by their faithfulness. I mean, it's just messed up. It is. It's really messed up. And the way that we heard that framed was, you know, this is what God has for you, and you need to persevere through it. Yeah. My my next regret has to do with our family, um, just how much all of this cost our family to be an organized religion. I mean, fortunately, we do have a relationship with each one of our kids, but I think it's all of them have been affected by you being a pastor and me being that woman who's just out there worried about keeping everything together for appearance sake. Because there's this bar of performance. And when you're a pastor in an institutional church setting, the bar is raised extremely high because you're the man. You're the one. Because institutional church is all centered on the pastor, centered on the pulpit, centered on Sunday morning, centered on a message. And it's the pastor's responsibility to bring that message. Well, a pastor's wife is told to be supportive of that in different ways, and yet kind of unseen. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I remember being told that my sole purpose was to bolster you in your ministry. Mm. So that left nothing for me. My whole purpose was to make sure I made it easy for you to come home and study and teach and go to meetings and go counsel people and at the expense of our family. And work full time during that. Yeah, it was just our family paid a big price for that. And I mean, they are all over the place apart from each other as far as what they think, but I'm just thankful that they let us be in their lives. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> yeah, there have been so many times when you you and I have talked that if we, you know, using hindsight, if we knew then what we know now, the things we would have avoided, you know, the things we would have not done, like join a church, right? <laughs> you know, that would be, that would be top on the list for me because the body of Christ isn't the church and the church isn't the body of Christ. You know, the church is a religious system that's been kind of placed on the back of the body of Christ. It's a burden in most cases. And it's something that's optional that can be jettisoned, but we don't we don't stop to question it because we're all in it, and we think it's the norm. And what it does is it kills us. You remember in our Grace Cafe podcast that one time I asked you if you remembered any of the sermons I preached. Yeah, <laughs> and you said no, and I can't remember them either. But man, what a what a waste of time and energy in our relationship and in our family, time away from you, time away from the kids, time away from friends, time, time away from neighbors, 
time away from being present at home more, you know, we can't get that time back. Right. It, you know, it's uh, not symptomatic. What's the word I'm looking for? It's indicative of the bigger problem, I guess you could say, of church because church, institutional church demands things from you. It just sucks things out of you. It sucks the life out of you. And that's one of the ways that it does that. So yeah, our, you know, our family suffered. Our relationship suffered because of that. But when we were in it, I don't think we knew that. I don't think we fully realized it. No, but I, I think I suppressed so much that I wasn't really present. Which brings me to number three. And this would be in the context of my own personality and not just because you were a pastor. I think this was indicative of my whole life until I realized what it was, being driven to be liked and accepted in a group. So that drove me to do whatever people wanted me. I, I was what people wanted me to be. In this group, I was this person. In this group, I was this person. And our poor kids, you know, I think about the homeschooling groups and how I just took on their rules of their kids and their rules of their family. And our poor kids, they didn't have a chance because their mother didn't know that she could think for herself. And she needed to just be liked and accepted. And now I don't care. I wish I would have <laughs> I wished I would have not cared back then. <laughs> but it's a growth. I mean, it's a journey. It, I've learned so much about myself through all of the deconstruction of my faith and learning about the Enneagram, which has been huge for me just learning what has driven me all these years. Can we just real quick, let's talk about, you, made, you used that phrase, deconstruction of, fa of your faith. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about that a little bit and explain what you mean by that? Well, I know it's a popular term now, but w we were doing this years ago before that became... We knew deconstruction before it was popular. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we weren't calling it that. We call it a crash and burn. And the recovery from that I think I just started throwing things out. I threw out, first thing I threw out, I think, was wives submit to your husband. Mm. And then Calvinism, the harshness of that. I just started throwing stuff away because I no longer could believe it. And I started listening to other things, other people and other podcasts. Instead of being told what to believe, I started being able to critically think about what do I think. And I tell you, when you start listening to other people with other opinions and go outside your little circle of your theology, your brain starts lighting up and you start thinking for the first time, at least I did, and being a critical thinker, what do I really believe? For me, it came down to Jesus. I know a lot of people have deconstructed to be atheist. I I can't even understand that, but I just think I just believe in Jesus. That's good. I, I've started using the word decluttering lately. Mm -hmm. You know, just getting things out of the way that don't belong there. Having the freedom to just toss stuff, to toss it aside. And, you know, you talked about a couple of things that you've jettisoned. You've jettisoned away from your third, jettisoned out of your thinking. You know, and I'm right there with you. I mean, the, the topic of submission, that's probably one that we should maybe do in here someday if you want to join me again on another episode. Sure. 
And we'll talk about submission because I think that's so misunderstood and taken out of context. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's worth the time to, uh, to do that. But you mentioned Calvinism, you know, when I was in my Calvinist phase, that did the same thing. It gave me a wrong view of God. It gave me a God who was just mad all the time, mm-hmm. who's angry. And it kind of reflected in everything that I believed and everything that I did because you can never actually rest there because you're kind of you're kind of on edge all the time because God's on edge all the time. Yeah. And so it gave me this wrong view of God. And so that was a pleasure to kind of jettison that and start over. But you're so right because when you come out of that religious obligation, that religious system of conformity, all of a sudden you're free to think your own thoughts. You're free to go beyond that. And people that are still in that system look at you and they think, oh, poor Susan, she's really gone astray. But you're over here and the Holy Spirit's doing something different in you and you're getting liberated like you've never been before. You know, the, the, the gospel, the new covenant gospel of grace is suddenly freer, if that makes sense, to take deeper root in you because you're not conforming to a system of conformity all the time. Yeah, and it's it's more of walking in relationship with him rather than studying scripture. Yeah, yeah. It's it's more of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You know, spontaneity with the Holy Spirit. And I get that some people, and I know, you know, we listen to podcasts like the Grace Guys, and they they, they still read their scriptures and stuff. I'm not there yet. I still have a hard time thinking about reading my Bible, but I appreciate listening to them. And I think someday I will be able to read it again, but just not right now. Yeah. And that's okay, because there's nothing to conform to. You know, Christ in you, the hope of glory is, you know, Christ is in you apart from the Bible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when those words were penned, you know, that Christ Christ in you is the hope of glory, there were no Bibles. Nobody was carrying a Bible around. Nobody had a Bible at home. There, there wasn't any of that, you know. And yet, people made it. <laughs> they made it through. Why? Because the Holy Spirit indwelt them. Christ in them was and is the hope of glory, not the Bible in you. And so, well, that's one of the things that we did too, if I can just mention this real quick while we're on this point, is... We elevated the Bible to almost the fourth member of the Trinity. Yes. Sarah Bessie said that in her podcast, and you were just like blown away because you had just said that. Yeah. (laughs) That was great timing. (laughs) But that's what we've done with it. We look at our Bible, and it says Holy Bible. Well, the word holy means set apart or made clean. Christian, you're holy. There's not a holy book. You're the holy one. Mm -hmm. You know, you're the holy ones. You're, You're part of the body of Christ. But we've taken that thing and we've kind of elevated it. Now, I, you know, I like Scripture. I count on Scripture being reliable. And and you're the one I ask instead of looking it up myself. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but it's nice not having to have all those answers anymore, you know. It's, yeah. it's good to be able to say, I don't know. Because when I was a pastor, saying, I don't know, wasn't really permitted. Right. You had to research it. You had to be right. At the end of the day, you had to be the one on top, you and know. And defend it. Yeah. So I don't know how we got on that Bible thing, but where are we in, in your list? <laughs> well, number four, but it, it kind of, like I said, it overlaps, and we already talked about this a little bit, was I really regret my compliance to misogyny and patriarchal BS. I just do. I mean, I, you know, that patriarchy thing, patriarchy, 
I mean, we weren't fundamentalists, so it wasn't that bad. But I really was. Oops. <laughs> I really was your fourth child. Yeah, that's what it does. I was the oldest of four kids. That's right. And I, our kids saw that. And I think that's why around 14, I lost the respect of our son. Mm. I mean, he, I mean, he's a great guy, and he was a great kid. But I could not teach him anymore. Mm. And I think he just saw me as this lesser, not... I don't think he thought it out that that's what he thought, that I was lesser, but I mean, they see it. That's what was modeled. Yeah. I, I asked permission for things. I, you know, they would come to me to ask you if we could do something, you know, it's just so screwed up. It is. That's exactly what patriarchy does. It makes the wife the oldest of the children. Yeah. She has to get permission to do everything. You know, she's not, she's not allowed to be who she is in Jesus. She's not allowed to express spiritual gifts. She's not allowed to express an opinion. Her opinion has to conform to her husband's opinion, and he gets final say. Well, and when you talk about spiritual gifts, when you look at women, there's just so limited things they're allowed to express in church. Maybe they can sing, which puts them up front, or they're working with children, because they're allowed to work with children. And women's studies, that's yeah. that's it. So if, if your spiritual gift is teaching, I mean, I believe that's a gift. I believe pastoring is a gift at different times in your life. Forget it. And in the context of where we were at in our theology, the woman just wasn't allowed to do that. No. It gets back to silencing half the body of Christ. But when you look in the book of Acts, Philip had four daughters, and it says his four daughters prophesied. Yeah. So they had speaking gifts. And people in the body of Christ locally knew that. Paul knew that. Luke knew that as he wrote Acts. You know, that, hey, here's Philip, who, you know, we only see one other time in the book of Acts, in the, what is it, chapter two or three, when he's running over to that chariot to, to talk to the Ethiopian eunuch. That's really the only other time we see him. And then all of a sudden, here he is. You know, later on in Acts, with four daughters who prophesied, they were in some kind of a public setting. I don't think it was children's church. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just don't think that. But, you know, it's, a, it's another indictment, I, I think, against modern institutional Christianity that muzzles women. Yeah, it's so oppressive. You know, when you just think about, like, you watch shows from the 50s or 60s, and even, you know, you know it goes way back in time. But women were always less than inside and outside the church. And that's not what Jesus came to take care of. I mean, he didn't come to put us back in a, in a role of being under somebody. He came to give me his freedom as much as he came to give you freedom mm -hmm. to live my life and to learn to walk with him. And then, you know, people on the other side of this would say, well, you know, we're talking about roles. We're talking about different roles within yeah, it's a bunch within the assembly. Bunch of what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and you go down that path of roles, and we end up taking more verses out of context. Yeah. Yeah, which you, you should do a whole topic on that. I'm going to be busy, it sounds like. <laughs> um, the My fifth one... My fifth regret would probably be stuffing my anger. 
because it's a big thing in Christian circles that do not be angry and don't go to bed with, don't let the sun go down right, on right. your anger. All these things, you know, there's just this. Just rule after rule. Yeah. And, you know, it's an emotion. And as a nine, as an Enneagram nine, I grew up in a home where I wasn't allowed to show my emotion. And when you constantly stuff your anger, it affects your mental health. And it allows you to get to a point where you're going to let it all out. And it's usually at the wrong person, whether it's the kids or your husband or whatever, or the kitchen cabinet door. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I just, I just regret that I thought that there were so many emotions that were wrong. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it affected my mental health and mental health in the church is mostly, I think it's getting better in some churches and others it's not. It's not a spiritual issue. You know, it's mental health. And I think that really affected me to do that, to stuff things for so many years. One of the things that I've become more aware of and that I think both of us have really learned a lot from since leaving institutional Christianity is the ability to look at our personalities through other lenses. Because before, we were always told, you know, doctrine, you have to have right doctrine. Yes. Well, what that boils down to is you have to conform to the group's think tank. You have to think like the group or like the pastor in the group or the pastors in the group. And that's what it really means when we say, well, you need to have sound doctrine, you know. Well, okay, (laughs) hold on a minute, because you know, I, I call that tribal knowledge. It's this tribe's got this doctrine, and this tribe over here's got this doctrine. And depending on which tribe you belong to, which church tribe you belong to, that's the doctrine that you need to conform to. And some of that, a lot of that, has to do with, like you said, stuffing down emotions. I remember, and you brought this up at lunch yesterday, after my mom died. Oh, yeah. You know? And I was, I was pastoring a church, and I was one of three pastors, I think, at the time in this particular church. And my mom had died, and I wasn't really given time to grieve because the institution needed me, and I was told that. I was told I need to get over this sooner than later because That we, was a big term, you. sooner than later. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And you related a story yesterday at lunch that I had completely forgotten about when one of the other pastors came over to the house after my mom died and I was in the garage doing something because sometimes I hang out in the garage. And he came in and I remember telling him, okay, now that my mom's died, I'm going to have to really be gone a lot more. I'm going to have to be taking care of my dad because my dad had a lot of needs. He was in his 80s. He was an hour and a half away, right? Two and a half hours? Yeah, he was about two hours away. And so I was just saying, I got to, you know, now I need to take care of my dad and blah, blah, blah. And his response, and this is no joke, his response very seriously, he looked at me and he said, maybe we can just pray that he dies now. Yeah. Those, that's what he said, because as a narcissistic pastor, he couldn't have me gone. He couldn't split my time with anybody or anything else. I had to be serving the institution. Right. And so the solution to spending more time away was, oh, you're not allowed to spend more time away. Let's pray your dad dies. And that's from a a guy who is supposed to be a shepherd, who's supposed to be a pastor. And 
people didn't know that. I mean, that kind of stuff went on all the time. Yeah. You know, and yeah, I had, I had kind of forgotten about that until you mentioned that at lunch yesterday. You know, you hear that and people think, well, why didn't you just leave then? And there's so many times we look back and we think, why didn't we just stand up from that table and say, you guys need to leave our house right now? After they would come over with their list of things that they had against you or whatever. Yeah, all these pastor meetings that turned out to be ambushes. Yeah, and so why didn't we leave? Why didn't we leave? And I think it just boiled down to when you're in something like that and you're a part of something like that, you can't think that there's anything else out there. And you don't think of that as an option to just leave. But now, you know, it just blows my mind that we sat through so much stuff and that we we stayed after that was said to you. Yeah. You know, I just, um, and I know that a lot of, for me, it was the fear of, oh, well, we'll leave, we'll lose all of these relationships. Well, we did. I mean, they're just. Not by our choice. No. We just lost so much when we left, which, you know, I'm thankful that we left and I'm thankful I went through the crisis that I went through, the trauma that I went through, because we were like, had no choice but to leave. But it all came true. All my fears came true. And I just wish we would have done it sooner. Yeah, when you're in it, you don't see it. Mm-mm. No, you and don't. And you think this is normal. You get, yeah. you get conditioned toward that. Yeah. You get groomed toward that. Well, this is normal. And if I were to leave and go somewhere else, that place is going to be just like this place. Or I can't leave this place and go someplace else because we have it right. Right. That was a huge We thing. have all the answers. There's We're no the one group. else out there that All teaches. All 15 of us know best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's just got some cultish overtones to it. I'm sorry. I'm going to use that word. You know, it's just strange. It's real controlling in that environment, at least the environment that we were in. And uh, yeah, it's it's as unhealthy as can be. I, I was reading the comments from that woman who had her five regrets on TikTok. Because I like to see what people say sometimes. And one lady said, so were you Mormon? And the woman said, close. I was evangelical Christian. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And I just thought, you know, we just want to label everything. Yeah. You know, and, you know, this is Christian. This is not Christian. This is this and this is not. And I don't know. It's just so messed up. I think, too, about, you know, your, your bouts with depression and anxiety. And how that when we were in that system, the group thinking was, well, good doctrine, sound doctrine cures depression. Mm-hmm. And it was somehow sinful or not very spiritual to seek help from a counselor or a therapist. You Unless know that? that counselor was a biblical counselor. Yeah, a biblical counselor. And then they just give you a to-do list and it increases the anxiety and the depression anyway. Right. But if you went to somebody outside of the accepted group of people to go to, you know, you basically couldn't. You would be ostracized if you did. And it wasn't until we left that whole environment that you were free to do that. And that's when the healing started for you big time, you know? Mm-hmm. And that was a lot of years ago. I mean, you know, this has been a process. It's been a process to get to where we are today, to be able to talk about what we're talking about today. It wasn't instantaneous. But you learn things along the way, and you realize looking back, you know, hindsight being what it is, you look back and you can see a lot more of the holes that were there that you couldn't see when you were in it. Yeah. 
you know? Yeah, I, I'm convinced that we all need therapy. That <laughs> 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 We could all benefit from therapy, or at least most of us. And uh, it's just really a taboo in a lot of circles to it do is. that. But I, you know, when I got diagnosed with PTSD, and then she started doing EMDR with me, that was amazing stuff. Explain that in case somebody doesn't know what that means. The EMDR? Yeah, and the P PTSD if you want. Well, basically my the the trauma that happened at in our church it just stuck. Most of the times things happen and it just it's like you're driving in a car and and the trees are passing by and you're seeing things. That's what our memories usually are. They're just they do that. But this one stuck and clung. And and through that, a lot of other trauma stuck and clung. And so EMDR is they use lights, they use sound, they use clicking in your in your hands. It's doing your senses. And so you're thinking about this trauma and the lights are going back and forth. And what it's doing is it's loosening that memory up so it can like break up and go into the past. Not that you won't ever remember it again, but that you won't live in that memory. It's living in that memory that is PTSD. It's living there. It's not being able to move on. It's not being able to just let it be a part of your past. Just like a normal memory. Right. Yeah. And when we were in that, that church environment, you wouldn't have been allowed to do that. That wouldn't have been permitted. I mean, you could have done it. But it would have been frowned upon, mm -hmm. you know, as, oh, you're not, there's something wrong with your theology. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I would always come back to that. Well, people. But ma'am, I'm sorry, but let me just finish this real quick. When you started going to that, after the first visit, I saw a huge change. But you would have not had that first visit had we not left institutional church. Yeah, I agree with that. And so seeing that, you know, you came home after that and you were just lighter. You were happier. And and yet in that religious environment, that would have been frowned upon and you couldn't have got better. You could only have gotten worse because you would have been sent to a biblical, and I'm using air quotes, a biblical counselor who's just going to give you more to do, basically. Most of them. Not all of them, I guess, but most of them. Anyway, does that, does that sound like an accurate yeah, and it didn't. Yeah, and it didn't take you know care of everything. There was like a rebuilding of myself. Mm-hmm. I just think too much too much of mental health is bound up in calling things sin when they're not sin. You don't have to deal with it then. You don't have to deal with the person. You just have an instant solution, oh, that's sin. Or if you have more faith, you wouldn't be anxious. Right. And it's not about faith. It's a physical thing that's going on. And unless you've had real anxiety, I don't think people really understand that it's not a... Well, I'm not having faith that God has the future. A lot of times, anxiety isn't about the future. It's just there. Yeah. Good points. So, those are my regrets. <laughs> Why don't you just real quick run through all five of them just as a summary, and we'll use that as a wrap-up. Okay. Number one, being silent and not speaking up. Number two, how much it cost me and my family. Number three, being driven to be liked and accepted. It hurt my kids by conforming to groups of people. Number four, by compliance to the misogyny and patriarchal stuff that went on. 
And in that, I was losing myself and not thinking for myself. And number five would be stuffing my anger. It became a mental health issue because I had to be the perfect wife and the perfect mom and the perfect pastor's wife. Yes, as we were always in the spotlight, spotlight was always turned on us, and it's always turned on the pastor and the pastor's wife. And we caved. We came to the point where, nope, we're done with this. Can't do this anymore. This is fake. And uh, that's when so much healing started to take place. Yeah, it's taken a long time. Yeah, absolutely. It took a long time to get uh, where we were in that system. <laughs> yeah. You know, it wasn't it wasn't quick. It was, you know, frog in the kettle, kind of heating the water up slowly until you realize you're dying. And then it's time to jump out or stay in and die, one or the other. Yeah. So by the grace of God, we were able to leap out. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? Anything related to this or? Just that I don't want people to think that I'm just living in regret. Those are just the things that I wished I could redo. And I think we all have things that we wish we could go back and redo, but we can't. And I'm learning to live in that truth and love my kids in that truth right now and love them the way they need to be loved right now and loving our grandkids and and it helps to talk about it. It helps to talk it through, to have somebody to talk with about it. Right. And I hope that this episode, if you bringing this stuff up, can help others that are out there listening. One thing I am thankful for is that our deconstruction did not lead to, lead to divorce, hmm. which I've seen that happen in a lot of marriages. It just leads to divorce because they go completely separate ways. And we just, you had patience with me, I had patience with you, and we just traveled this journey together, and I'm thankful for that. It was a simultaneous deconstruction, decluttering. <laughs> yeah. It was. So, yeah, I'm thankful for that as well. All right. Well, thank, uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us on this episode of the UnSunday Show. And a reminder, you can find us, find me, find the UnSunday Show at unsunday.com. Thank you for joining us on the UnSunday show. To be a part of this ongoing conversation, visit us online at unsunday.com.